0: there are some things that are hard to believe. Just last month, a book was published called 1,339 Quite Interesting Facts to Make Your Jaw Drop. And the book contains many so-called facts that are hard to believe. So here are some. The Bible is the most shoplifted book in the United States. The American actor Richard Gere's middle name is Tiffany. The offspring of a polar bear and a grizzly bear is called a pizzly bear or a growler bear. If a dead whale is found on a British beach, the head belongs to the king and the tail to the queen. There is only one account of a sneeze in the Bible. Don't know where. If you can find out, I'd be interested to know. The Beatles' classic song Yesterday was originally entitled Scrambled Eggs. In France, there are six villages called Silly, 12 called Billy, and two called Pratt. In Australia, Shark Bay had its name changed to Safety Beach. And finally... Eton College was originally founded as a free school for poor boys. There are some things that are hard to believe. Well, we've been getting ready for Christmas on Sunday mornings by thinking about Luke chapter 1. And last week, we saw the angel Gabriel announce the birth of John the Baptist. This week, we see him announce the birth of Jesus. And if last week was hard to believe, an old lady who was barren having a baby, well then this week is especially hard. For here we have the virgin birth. Now, for some, that will mean Christianity is just too hard to believe. I mean, do Christians really believe this? Do we have to spoil Christmas with such an impossibility? I mean, why not add in the tooth fairy? And, uh, and, and dragons and, and flying hedgehogs for fun. I remember meeting a man one Christmas who came into my church and said to me that he didn't believe in God and there was one reason. So I was intrigued to know what it was. And he told me it was the virgin birth. For him, that was just too much. It's nonsense. It was clear God doesn't exist if that's the kind of thing the Christians believe. Uh, Joan Bakewell was writing in The Independent a few years ago talking about the ongoing relevance of Christianity. And she comments on the virgin birth. And she says this, The virgin birth and Christ coming back from the dead are no longer credible. It's not credible today to believe in the virgin birth. Modern society has moved on. There are some things that are just too hard to believe. But as we saw last week, what Luke is writing is historical. These things really happened. His sources are eyewitnesses. They really saw these things. They're not just gullible Jewish people who believed anything. Actually, what we see is that for Zechariah and for Mary, these things are hard to believe. But they saw them. And Luke believes these things. He wants Theophilus, who he's writing to, to believe these things. He wants us today, his wider audience, to believe these things because they really happened, because it's true. And we need to see that the stakes are high. They're really high. Larry King, the American television personality, once said this, I'd like to ask Jesus Christ if he was indeed virgin-born. The answer to that would definitely define history for me. And see, what Larry King understands is that if Jesus was born of a virgin, well, suddenly, he's the most unique person in the history of this world. So the virgin birth teaches us about the identity of Jesus, that's what we're going to see today, that Jesus is the Son of God because he's born of the Holy Spirit. See, could it be that in the Christmas story, God is highlighting the uniqueness of the child by giving him the most unique birth of all? In the Bible, supernatural births are God's way of telling us the significance of the child. And here we have the most significant of all births because we have the most significant Of all babies, Jesus is born of the is the Son of God, because he's born of the Holy Spirit. And today we need to get his identity right. If we're going to know how to relate to him, we need to know who he is. And once we see this is true, then we also see that God can do the impossible. He can do for us what we could never do for ourselves, because Christmas is all about God coming to put things right. He's come to put the world right. He's remaking this broken world. He's come to put us right, to restore us to God. That is wonderful news. And he calls us to respond with faith. So, two truths we see today. Firstly, Jesus is the Son of God. So, we're six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, By this time, she's clearly showing. Zechariah still can't speak, Uh, the people are still amazed. And we can imagine passers-by walking past Elizabeth and taking a second look in disbelief. What's going on, Elizabeth? We can imagine slightly awkward conversations. So you've been uh, eating a bit too much, Liz? (laughs) Maybe you need to go on a diet? We can imagine the embarrassment. And we can imagine the amazement. What is going on? So we're six months in. And the angel Gabriel is sent by God. Now, he's not sent to the south. He's not sent to Jerusalem. He's not sent to the temple. He's not sent to the holy place. He's sent to the north, to Galilee, to Nazareth, to a small village, a small agricultural town off the beaten track. And he's not sent to a significant man, a priest, in the name of Levi, in the line of Levi. No. He sent to a young Jewish girl who's betrothed to Joseph. And he's in the line of David, and she's a cousin of Elizabeth. So off the beaten track, in the middle of nowhere, with no one else around, with no crowd outside, no worshippers praying, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. And he says this, verse 28. Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. The Lord has blessed Mary. He sh- he's chosen her to be a recipient of his grace and a recipient of his favour. But she's troubled. Who is this man? What, what's he saying? What's the significance? Of course, it's not every day you see an angel. She's pretty t- scared. She's terrified. And so he assures her. And he says, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. So the angel explains to Mary that God has chosen her. He's shown a favor. And again, just like last week, there's a child coming. Again, it's a son. Again, his name is given. But it's not John. God is gracious. It is Jesus. God is my salvation. And what do we learn about him? Well, verse 32. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. See, Jesus is not just going to be great in the sight of the Lord, like John. He's going to be great himself. He's not just going to be a prophet of the Most High, like John. He's going to be son of the Most High. Most High is the name for God. That's the the name that Melchizedek gave God. It's the name David gave God. It's the name Daniel gave God. What the angel is saying is that this Jesus is son of the most high. He's the son of God. Her parents often have great hopes for their children. When he's older, I'd like him to be a fireman. When she's older, I want her to be an actress. But this is something quite different. Jesus is the son of the most high. That's what he's going to be called, because he's the son of God. And what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be the son of God? Well, it means that Jesus is going to be the king the king of Israel ruled in the place of God. He was his representative on earth. The king was to be like God, as a son to a father. He was a kind of adopted son, so he was called the son of God. Look at verse 32. The Lord will, God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over just Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this child, Jesus, is going to be an extraordinary person, the son of the Most High, And he's going to have an extraordinary role. He's going to reign over Jacob's descendants. Now, legally speaking, he will be the son of Joseph, hence a descendant of David. And he will reign forever, we're told. Jesus is the son of God. So, the son of God speaks of Jesus as the king. And yet, it also speaks of much more. Because he's not the son of God simply because he's been given authority, like the Jewish king. No, he's been given authority because he's uniquely the son of God. That is, he is divine. He's like no Israelite king. He is the divine son of God. And we see this in the rest of Luke's gospel. Jesus is the Lord who's coming. He's the Lord whom John the Baptist will prepare the way for. He's the Lord who forgives sins, the Lord who brings salvation, the Lord who comes to the temple, his father's house. He's the one of whom it will be said, this is my son. Listen to him. He's the one who's greater than David. He's the one David will call Lord. He's the one who all people will worship. Jesus is the son of God. He's come to rule. In the Old Testament, God made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that one of their descendants would bless the whole world. Kings would come from them. The Christ, the Messiah. Now, King David was a great king in Israel in 1000 BC. He brought great blessing to people. But he was only the partial fulfillment. For he was a murderer and an adulterer. Unlike God the Father. He was not a true son. And yet David was promised that one of his descendants, a son, would establish his throne forever. He would bring blessing to the whole world. He would rule not just in Jerusalem... But the whole world, he would rule not just for a time, but for eternity. And so ever since King David, we're looking for the true son, the perfect son. And the angel Gabriel says to Mary, this is the one. Your child is the one. He's the the Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. It was on the 3rd of December last year that the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge announced that they were expecting their first child. And in the country, there was a great sense of joy and uh, anticipation and excitement. You may have been excited yourself. You may not have been. A new life, the third in line to the throne. Uh, The media gathered around the hospital. Friends and family, celebrities, politicians tweeted messages of congratulations. The whole world knew of the news. There was... Excitement and joy. And did you notice here, for the Son of God, it's a surprising start. It's not how we might expect it. There's no media, no tweets, no messages of congratulations. In fact, no one is around. Even John the Baptist's announcement was much greater than this. Jesus was much greater than John, but this is pretty low key. And this prepares us for the fact, I think, that Jesus is not going to be how you might expect him to be. He's a surprising king. He's born in questionable circumstances to a virgin. He later is known as Mary's son. Although he is a crowd puller, he experienced remarkable opposition. He was betrayed ...by two of his closest friends, abandoned by his disciples... ...handed over by the Jews to the Romans. He was crucified on a Roman cross. His a surprising king. He has surprising subjects. Like we saw last week, he calls the fishermen... ...the tax collectors, the poor, the sinners... ...the outcasts, the prostitutes, the gentle, Gentiles. Surprising subjects. He's got surprising timing. His kingdom comes in two stages... For now, in the present day, he's totally unrecognized. His name is a swear word to most people. His his people are poor and hungry, persecuted and hated. Only in the future will he fully be recognized and his people rewarded. Surprising timing. And a surprising mission. He doesn't use people to exalt himself, he serves people to exalt them. He gives grace to the humble. And his greatest act of weakness was, in fact, his greatest act of power. For it's by his death on the cross that people can come into his kingdom. So it's surprising. But what we see is that he really is the king. And God demonstrated to the whole world this fact when he rose him from the dead. His resurrection was like his coronation. God has declared publicly that Jesus is the Son of God. And so today, we mustn't get his identity wrong. Mistake Mistaken identity can be rather embarrassing. I don't know if you've seen the advert where a man gets off the train and he sees his wife, brown hair and a red top. He runs over to her and he embraces her. He's so pleased. He's been away. He's now at home. He sees his wife again. He looks up. A few meters away from the stranger he's embracing is his wife. Brown hair, red top. Mistaken identity can be embarrassing. And with Jesus, we must not make this mistake. Because it really matters. What we see is that today, Jesus is governing this world. He's been appointed by his Father to be Lord of it. And that means, friends, he's Lord of us. He's Lord of me and he's Lord of you. And the Bible teaches us that one day we will all have to give an account of our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be asked, how have we treated him? Is he the king we've followed, our saviour? Or is he the king we've ignored? So the question for us this Christmas is, have we got the identity of the child Right. This child whose unique birth demonstrates his unique identity. This child who grew up to be a man, who grew up to be the King, the Son of God. And we saw last week the way to get ready for Jesus is to repent and to believe. That's what John the Baptist prepared God's people for. Repent and believe. We need to turn from our sin and to turn to Christ. That is the only appropriate response to this King. And it's a slightly sobering truth because what it teaches us is that by nature all of us are walking away from God. And yet as we saw last week, God's word to us is personal. God is calling us today to repent and believe. That's what a Christian is. Someone who is daily deciding to follow Jesus and put their trust in him. Jesus is the son of God. But if you look at verse 34... You may be thinking, yeah, I was thinking something like that myself. Mary asks, how, how will this be? And we might be thinking, yeah, well, how, how will it be that Jesus is the King, the Son of God? We can't even see him. Why would we believe that? Firstly, Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit. How will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin? We might be thinking, Mary sounds... Just like Zechariah here, again, an anticlimax. The angel appears, and they don't believe him. And we also might be thinking, well, why isn't Mary struck dumb and deaf, like Zechariah, if she's making the same mistake? But I think if we look more closely, there's a difference. See, Mary asks, how will this be? But notice she assumes that it will be. She believes it. Understandably, she just doesn't know quite how it's going to happen. But Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? That is, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't believe it. He asked for a sign. Give me a sign, God, because I don't think it's going to happen. It's not true. And we know that God uh, judges, disciplines Zechariah for this, and there's no equal for Mary. So his response is one of doubt, whereas hers is one of faith. And notice too, Mary presumes she will conceive while she's still a virgin. Very soon for her, there's going to be a natural context for children. Yet she understands the angel to be saying, no, whilst you're still a virgin, you're going to conceive. But how's it going to happen? Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to come on Mary, the power of God will overshadow her. Just as God filled the temple with his presence and his power, so he's going to fill Mary with his presence and his power. So much so that the, the Jesus will be called the Holy One, the Son of God. So we see that this child Jesus is fully human, born of Mary, but also fully God, born of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus is not like us. He's not like me. And he's not like you. I mean, just imagine, born without a sinful nature. Without deceit. Without pride. Without boastfulness. Without thanklessness. Without being ungrateful. Without being corrupted without being spoilt. He's not like me. He's not like us. Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit. And notice, this is the mystery, the greatest mystery. I don't know if you spotted it, but for, for Gabriel, this is a bigger mystery than the question, how can Mary have a son without a father? The bigger mystery is, how can Jesus be both God and man? How can God the Son take on a human nature and enter into our, our experience? How can God, who is transcendent, he rules universally, be imminent? He's, he's with us personally. How can that happen? This is the biggest mystery of all. How can this human child be divine? And the answer is, verse 35, he's born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Again, God is highlighting the most significant person in history by giving them the most unique birth. And once we see this, then really everything about Jesus makes sense. It fits into place. Well, of course he can teach with authority. Of course he can heal the sick. Of course he can calm the storms. Of course he can exercise demons. Of course he can raise the dead because he's the son of God. Born of the Holy Spirit. But still, we might be thinking, well, okay, but how can it happen? And notice Gabriel gives Mary a sign. So look at verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her six months. For no word from God will ever fail. And so Gabriel says to Mary, look Mary, you want to know this is going to happen? You want to know what I'm up to? Well, look at your cousin Elizabeth, the old one, the one who's well on in years. She's pregnant. In fact, she's six months pregnant. She's only got three months to go. She's the one who people said it was impossible to have a baby, and yet she is having a baby because no word from God will ever fail. God has promised this, and God does what he says. He acts through his word. See, Elizabeth is barren, and there are two ways of looking at it. There's two interpretations, two messages. There's the word of the world... And then there's the word of God. So the word of the world says, look, it's impossible. Miracles can't happen. She'll never have a child. And today, look, it's ridiculous to believe these things about Jesus. You can't see him. It's no longer credible. It doesn't make sense. But notice the world has made its mind up before it examines the evidence. The world says miracles didn't happen. Miracles do not happen because miracles cannot happen there's an assumption there and the assumption is there's no God but what if there is a God that's the word of the world and then we have the word of God and God says now it's possible Zechariah was told Elizabeth will bear you a son just as at the beginning God created by his word so he's going to create by his word again this isn't the way he normally does it but why can he not do it in a different way if he wants to That's the word of God. And how does Mary respond? We'll look at verse 38. She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She trusts because she has confidence in the word of God. She sees that the word of the world is proud. It's based on false assumptions. It's blind. And so she trusts the word of God. And so she says, may your word be fulfilled. Unlike Zechariah, she's an example of faith. See, we see that faith is not a leap in the dark. It's not blind. It's trusting that God has the power to do what he's promised. And it's seeing that God does this time and time and time and time again. He's acted in space, time and history. And we can trust him. So we can't see Jesus today, but if we'd lived 2,000 years ago, he might well have done. We can't prove the virgin birth, of course not. But we see by his life and death and resurrection that Jesus really is the Son of God. And here we have eyewitness testimony. We have his word today. And what it teaches us wonderfully is that God is not distant. He's not far away. He's come to us. He's come to put things right. He's come to put us right. He's the king that we desperately need. He's come to seek and to save the lost, to restore us to God. Jesus is the son of God because he's born of the Holy Spirit. And Luke commends us to be like Mary. She's a model of faith and surely an example to us. She was promised a son. And so she took God at his word. And what has God promised to us? What are we to believe? Well, next week we'll be looking at Mary's song, her response. And just a couple of things from there which teach us what God has promised us today. Firstly this, his mercy will extend to those who fear him. And that's in verse 50. See, Jesus is a wonderful king. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He's merciful. On the cross, he paid for our sin. He took our punishment in our place. And the promise is that whatever we've done, however guilty we are, however much we know that we've dishonored him and not lived up to the lies we should have done, we can be forgiven. Our sins can be covered. Our sins can be cancelled. Our sins can be forgiven. That is a wonderful thing. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. So we don't need to pretend that we're righteous when we're not. And we don't need to try and perform and prove ourselves. Because God has mercy on those who fear him. And then he lifts up the humble. Verse 52. See, the father... Raise the son from the dead. And the promise is that we too will be raised. God is coming to restore this world. And we will be part of that. If we humble ourselves and trust in Jesus. Now maybe that Christmas is a particularly difficult time for you. Maybe the life at the moment is especially hard. We might find it very hard to believe in the promises of God. The promise of his mercy, of his presence, of his favour, of his goodness might be that actually God feels like he's, it feels like God has abandoned us. How can God really be for me? We might say, given how I feel, given my circumstances, given my future. But what an encouragement it is to be reminded that no word of God fails. That he does what he says. That he will show us mercy. He will lift us up. There is hope. He is for us. He is faithful. That Jesus has come to help us, to love us, to lift us up. This is a wonderful thing. And we can be confident. Because this is what God has promised. He does what He says. So see that no word from God fails and believe Him. Day by day, believe Him. If you're not a Christian, will you see the limits of trusting in your own wisdom? We may say it's impossible, but God can do the impossible, and He's done the impossible. He's done it here, He's done it at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He'll do it again. So respond to him rightly. Jesus is the Son of God. He's born of the Holy Spirit. There are some things that are hard to believe. If you're looking for Christmas presents, you might go and buy that book, 1,339. Quite interesting facts to make your jaw drop. It's quite hard to remember that. (laughs) Write it down. But the most important truth to grasp is the unique birth and the unique identity of Jesus Christ. And it's not just an interesting fact. It's the fact that changes everything. Because it means that we can trust him. We can depend on him. That no word from God fails.